The Daily Rios, episode 464, Favorite Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season three, episodes. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. The great Star Trek rewatch is back, for those that are still interested. Deep Space Nine Season 3, September 1994 through June of 1995. It's the only Star Trek series on the air at that time until the middle of the season when Star Trek Voyager begins. So it's kind of a shame that Deep Space Nine never really got a full season to itself, like uh, in the way that Next Generation did. So this means it's another season where I had to flip-flop once we got to the middle of the season, and that means that the remainder of the series I'm going to have to do the same, where I'm watching Deep Space Nine and then watching Voyager uh, in uh, airing chronology, right? So, yes, Deep Space Nine, that means this is a Deep Space Nine episode, that means that there will be a Voyager episode uh, sometime in the near future. So, uh, here is just an overview of Deep Space Nine Season 3. This is the season that gave us some new comm badges uh, designed to match Star Trek Generations, which premiered early in the first half of this season. We get a new strategic focus with with this season. No longer is the station just a port, you know, outside of the wormhole, but now it's really the first line of defense in the Alpha Quadrant against the Dominion, should they decide to attack from the Gamma Quadrant. We get a new Starfleet security character on the station named Michael Eddington, and of course, the biggie, we get the Defiant for the first time. So that's kind of cool. Now, behind the scenes, uh, Michael Piller would leave the show to create Star Trek Voyager, although he would remain a creative consultant. So Iron Stephen Bear becomes the series' new executive producer in this season, essentially becoming the showrunner for the remainder of the series. Now, people with more investment in the behind-the-scenes stuff probably have more thoughts about all of this creative shuffling, uh, more thoughts than I ever will. Um, but I know that some, I know that some really hardcore Star Trek people have things to say about certain showrunners over others. And then, uh, you know, obviously my lack of information in terms of what's going on behind the scenes was made clear because last episode, I think I said that Ronald D. Moore was already working on the Deep Space Nine series prior to the season, but that's not true. After Next Generation ended, uh, Ronald D. Moore would join the writing staff of, of Deep Space Nine as a supervising producer, which he held from uh, seasons three to five. And then in 1997, he'll be promoted to co-executive producer uh, and then he is credited as, as writer or co-writer of 30 episodes of Deep Space Nine. So I thought he was already on board, but it turns out, nope, that wasn't the case. 
Now, here are my quick thoughts after watching season three. I still feel like season two is my favorite season to date. Starting with season three, I'm on real unfamiliar territory. There are a lot of episodes in this season that I had never seen before, and it makes me wonder just how many episodes I've seen of the upcoming seasons. As always, there are things that I'm looking for as I watch uh, all of these episodes. Mainly, it has to do with the characters. Uh, I obviously like all of the mythos, all of the stuff that continues episode to episode, a lot of the thematic stuff, but surprisingly, that's been pretty slow this season. And I'm not really sure why I got it in my head that this season started to ramp up the Dominion stuff, because it's there, and we get changelings, and we get Dominion references, and we get you know, excursions into the Gamma Quadrant. But for some reason, I thought it was a bigger play in this season, and that's not the case. Um, If season two gave us teases and hints, this season laid some groundwork, but the story is not there just yet. So I'm not sure why I thought season three was that way, but apparently I guess that happens with season four. So character-wise... Uh, Cisco's journey is still going pretty slowly, both as the commander of the ship, uh, uh, of the station, and also as the emissary. Uh, Jake starts off his career as a novice writer in this season, putting Starfleet behind him. Odo's feelings for Kira are hardcore throughout this season, and it kind of leads to a lot of soap opera subplot kind of stuff, but that's okay. Uh, And by the way, I mean... Rest in peace, Rene Aubergenois, right? Uh, He died on December 8th, 2019. Such a shame. Loved that actor from his Benson days, really. And um, although I certainly recognized him here on Deep Space Nine, he also was someone that I was able to follow throughout musicals in the 80s and the 90s because his voice was so recognizable. And I'm thinking I might even do an episode about him highlighting all of Renee's uh, Broadway and musical uh, experience because there's a lot of it. And when you hear him sing, you're like, oh yeah, of course, that's him. So uh, yeah, that that's a shame. My feelings on Bashir, on Dax, on O'Brien haven't really changed. They aren't my favorite. And in fact, when I see that an episode is about them, I kind of get a little cringy and I prepare for the worst and, you know, sometimes it turns out, okay, I like that episode. Most of the times it's it's me not liking their episodes. Uh, really still loving Quark and now with this season, really loving Nog and Rom. This is the season where Nog wants to get into Starfleet. We get just some interesting family dynamics between Rom and Quark because of it. And, um, well, there again, rest in peace, Aaron Eisenberg, who passed away on September 2019. But there's just something very family about the three of them, and um, it's surprising how much story they're able to get out of these uh, three Ferengi, who, you know, really are just comic relief a lot of the times. But we get some, some good story stuff, which is awesome. We continue all of the stuff that's happening with um, Bajor, a lot of the theology, the politics, and how it all affects the Federation and Cisco and the station and the quadrant. I, I really like all of that. And even Kira, you know, even though she doesn't get 
a lot of the growth that she got in season one and season two. She continues to be one of my favorite characters, so that's cool. So if you've never heard one of these episodes, really all I'm doing is uh, running down a list of my favorite episodes. And for a season season that I was kind of underwhelmed with, um, I have a bunch. I have almost half, uh, 12 picks, which is almost ha- half of the season. So again, uh, these aren't these aren't like the best episodes. These are these are the ones that I enjoyed. And maybe some of these fandom doesn't really like, but you know what? That's okay because at this point of time, this is these are the episodes that I liked. And uh, maybe my choices might have been different years ago or maybe they'll be different years from now, but um I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pinpoint hey, here are all of the best Deep Space Nine episodes. Again, these are just the ones that I liked. So here's my list, 12 episodes. Episodes 1 and 2 of The Search. Episode 9, The Defiant. Episode 11 and 12, Past Tense, Part 1 and 2. Episode 13, Life Support. Episode 14, Heart of Stone. Episode 17, Visionary. Episode 19, Through the Looking Glass. Episode 20 and 21, which is Improbable Cause and then the die is cast. And then the last uh, episode of the season, 26, The Adversary. So we kick things off with episode one, The Search Part One. It's definitely a Federation starship, but I've never seen that design before. Federation ship? The cloaking device? It's hailing us. On screen. Hello, Major. Sorry to startle you, but I wanted to test the Defiant's cloaking device. The Defiant? I brought back a little surprise. The Dominion. The Defiant. So as you can hear, Starfleet and Deep Space Nine, they're all panicking because they think, you know, the the Jem'Hadar and the Dominion are coming, so they have to ramp up their forces. Uh, So we get a lot of escalation, I guess, not only in this episode, but in this entire season. Um... This episode is kind of a continuation uh, of sorts to the to the cliffhanger for season two. As I said, we get a new lieutenant, lieutenant commander, Michael Eddington, as a new security officer, which of course doesn't sit well with Odo. And maybe maybe this first episode is probably why I thought this whole season was going to roll out differently, because I remember seeing this episode before, you know, with the Defiant, with the help of the Romulan Empire. Uh, so that the ship can cloak. Um, The team goes off into the Gamma Quadrant. We get, obviously, uh, the founders in this episode and the next episode. So a lot of this, because I've seen this episode before, I just assumed the rest of the season was going to be like that, but, you know, it didn't turn out that way. But the focus of the show definitely changes because of all this. And I like that there's now this secondary responsibility on Cisco's shoulders apart from just the whole thing of getting Bajor ready to join the Federation, well, now, you know, Deep Space Nine becomes like the last holding point, um, uh, you know, to stop potential war. So the team goes to the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, Odo has been really restless. We learn that he's homing in on on uh, the Omarian Nebula, the possible homeworld of the Changelings, and we get a change for Odo as well. And I feel like all of his aggravation at the station is now uh, channeled into the exploration of his origins. 
Obviously, we get a deepening of the relationship between Kira and Odo. And as I said, the ending of the episode, after there's an attack on uh, the Defiant, we get the founders. We get the homeworld. And, you know, they look like Odo for some reason. But um, obviously, the, the, the bedrock that this episode and the next episode provide... Uh, is pretty strong for the remainder of the series. So that brings us to episode two, The Search. You will always be an outsider. Being an outsider isn't so bad. It gives one a unique perspective. It's a pity you've forgotten that. Then perhaps one day I'll come visit you. The Alpha Quadrant seems racked with chaos. It could use some order. Imposing your type of order on the Alpha Quadrant may prove more difficult than you imagine. We are willing to wait until the time is right. We will miss you, Odo. But you will miss us even more. And there it is. The Great Link, the sharing of idea and sensation, Odo's quest for his home world, his origins, his people, a step into a larger world, as the main changeling says. Such a such a very Star Trek thing. I think that's why I like these first two episodes. Um, we get the alien race of the Vorta. Salome Jens as the female founder is just so good. And while Odo is exploring his origins and his uh, abilities, the rest of the crew is being put through this simulation depicting the Dominion coming into the Alpha Quadrant and setting up a treaty with the Federation. And really, it's just a way to judge their response and and their reactions to being invaded. Um, Just an interesting episode all around. We get some origin stuff for Odo that he was sent out as a probe years ago. He wasn't due back for 300 years. Uh, We get some some tenants, some two tenants of the changelings, number one, that they want to compose order out on a chaotic universe, as we heard. And then number two, no changeling has ever harmed another. Both things which will come into play later. And I feel like with this opening two-parter, Deep Space Nine has found their Borg, right? This isn't isn't a new thought, but um, just the way that the changelings are all linked, they want order, they are a burgeoning threat. I mean, it all just feels very Borg-like, but Borg-like. So... Yeah, those two episodes. Really enjoy. All right, episode nine, The Defiant. Maybe that's what an experienced Starfleet officer would do. Maybe that's what Will Riker would do. But it's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue the mission. It's not the mission you're thinking about, is it? Or even the colonists in the zone. This is about you, isn't it? You and that other Will Riker out there. The man with your face, your name, your career. You are looking for a way to set yourself apart. Some way to be different. You shouldn't go fishing today. You won't catch anything. Thomas Riker, masquerading as William T. Riker. He gets his hands on the Defiant uh, so he can go to the Oriah system where he believes the Cardassians are uh, constructing um, ships, that they, there's a secret shipbuilding facility there, which will come into play later in the season. It's just really his way to go out in a blaze of glory, as Kira mentions. Uh, and it's a way to connect her 
to her old occupation days through his character and through their struggle to find a place in a battle that might be in their own mind. It's, it's a really good episode. Uh, we get Cisco as he heads to the Cardassia homeworld. So, of course, we get Gold Dukat. And uh, we get to learn a little bit more about the Obsidian Order and the way that Dukat really dislikes the Obsidian Order. Um, we obviously get to see what the Defiant can do. We get the Badlands, we get the Maquis, all of the stuff that will connect to the Voyager series. And uh, it's just a nice mix of Deep, Deep Space Nine and Next Generation elements into the larger Star Trek universe, which I love. Okay, episodes 11 and 12, Past Tense, Part 1 and 2. The social problems they face seem too enormous to deal with. Uh, that only makes things worse. Causing people to suffer because you hate them is terrible. But causing people to suffer because you have forgotten how to care, that's really hard to understand. They'll remember. It will take some time and it won't be easy. But eventually people in this century will remember how to care. So on their way to Earth, there's a transporter accident and that brings Cisco, Bashir, and Dax three centuries into the past, into Earth's dark past, to a time right before a riot, which was called the Bell Riots, which was a, a civil disturbance in San Francisco, that would lead to, you know, kind of like a turning point in society and eventually into the creation of the Federation. Uh, the rest of the DS9 crew, they're bouncing through time, trying to find out where their their um, fellow crew have gone. And really, this episode just hit home because I was surprised that an episode that was written in 1994, about the year 2024, I was just surprised at how oddly um, relevant it was to, you know, us here in 2019 when I saw this episode, but, you know, even here to 2020. So this is one of those really kind of like Star Trek episodes, probably in the vein of um, City on the Edge of Forever, uh, because it's it's just about everything that's going on today, you know, sanctuary cities, uh, class war, or the different classes of people, segregation, hunger, poverty, technology, building walls around cities, right? Everything that that clip just mentioned. Um, it's, as I was watching it and going through both parts, I just kept thinking, oh boy. Um, one of the DVD commentaries that I saw about this episode, they described that there was a proposal by uh, then-Mayor of Los Angeles, Richard Riordan, to create fenced-in havens for the city's homeless to make downtown Los Angeles more desirable for businesses. So the cast and crew were kind of shocked by all of this, especially because they felt like, wow, you know, here we are doing this episode about something that they thought was going to happen three decades in the future, but it was actually being it was actually going on in 1994. And they kind of thought that some people uh, reacted to this episode as being too preachy, but man, look where we are now. And these two episodes, whoo, uh, yeah, strangely prescient. So um, 
it's one of those wacky time travel kind of things where Cisco has to assume the role of a pivotal historical figure named Gabriel Bell in order to restore restore the timeline. Uh, we get a Clint Howard appearance, which is kind of fun, from, uh, you know, um, his appearance from the old original series. And I just feel like, as far as Star Trek goes, this is one of those episodes. So uh, I, I even like that, as that clip mentioned, or as you can hear in that clip, it's between Cisco and Bashir, who are two actors of color, two characters of color. Uh, so they're talking about something in a way that I think probably should resonate um, more. So I don't know how these episodes are looked at in in terms of fandom. You know, do they consider this as an episode right up there with City on the Edge of Forever? Because I feel like it certainly could be. All right, then we go to episode 13, Life Support. If we can regenerate his pathways with his own neuron cells, we might be able to revive him. What about brain damage? There's been no oxygen to his brain for almost 40 minutes. But he's been in stasis for most of that time. That combined with the strengthening of his cell membranes might buy us the time we need. Not a fantastic episode, but I liked that there's some things they're playing around with in terms of um, Bashir and trying to save Vedic Baral's life. It's all very Frankenstein-like. So yeah, Vedic Baral dies in this episode. There was uh, an explosion on their ship or something that happened on their ship. We get Vedic Baral. We get Kai Wynn. She makes a return. I always love that character. They're trying to settle a new peace treaty with Cardassia. And uh, Vedic Baral is really the main front of it. But since he's dead, um, Bashir tries to reanimate him. And of course, it's all very pseudoscience-y and it doesn't work, but it does kind of work. But meanwhile, he's breaking down. So of course, Kai Wynn has to take over. And then by the end, she takes all the credit, of course. So I don't know, just something about it that was just um, enjoyable, just really was kind of enjoyable. There's there's um, a part of this in Bashir's character, his whole mucking around with science and medicine that I thought was a little in counter to something that might have happened in a previous episode, but I can't remember which one that was. You know, sometimes he is against medical ex exploration, sometimes he's not, obviously because he's young and he feels like he's out in the wilderness. So I think the way this episode honed in on that part of his character is what I liked. Meanwhile, the second story in this episode between Jake and Nog and uh, a double date that goes really wrong, that was terrible. That part of this episode was terrible. <laughs> All right, uh, next up, uh, episode 14, Heart of Stone. Come on, Nog, tell me. Why is it so damned important that you get into Starfleet? Why are you doing this? Because I don't want to end up like my father! Your father. That's right, my father. He's been chasing profit his whole life. And what has it gotten him? Nothing. And you know why? Because he doesn't have the lobes. And neither do I. This was a tricky episode because... As it was going on, I, I didn't like it. But then you get to the twist and, and suddenly it becomes just a really great episode. 
So the whole thing is Odo and Kira are trapped on a, on a moon inside the Badlands, um, and she gets caught in a, in a situation that Odo has to try to get her out of, um, where all this crystal is covering her. And uh, through it all, they talk and they talk about different things. We learn about Odo's name, how he got his name. Uh, we learn about his feelings for Kira. We learn that she loves him back. And through all of it, I'm kind of going, mm, I don't know, that doesn't feel right. And especially when she pronounced that she also loved him back, something about it was like, no, that's that's wrong. And then you find out it's not Kira. It's the female founder and she's in the Alpha Quadrant. And uh, that put a whole spin on it, and I was like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. You know, she's sort of testing Odo through his love of Kira, and just everything about it suddenly flipped and made me really like this episode. Plus, we get a second story with Nog wanting to join Starfleet, and Again, there's just some really great acting between Nog and Cisco. The revelation that he doesn't want to be like his father. Um, I really liked it. I liked his journey. I liked everything that um, was happening between Rom and Nog. I mean, even the whole father-son thing that happens at the end of the episode, I was getting teary-eyed. So yeah, this great, great episode all around. All right, next up, 17, Visionary. Everyone would assume that Deep Space Nine was destroyed by what appeared to be the accidental collapse of the wormhole. An interesting theory, Commander. But that's all it is. A theory. That's right. But I'll tell you what's not a theory. Retract the Tetrion emissions back to your warbird. And I have about 50 photon torpedoes locked onto it right now. It's another time travel-esque story where O'Brien is jumping forward in time and he's seeing what's going to happen so he's able to come back in time and try to make changes, but then, of course, other things go wrong. Um, meanwhile, Deep Space Nine is hosting Romulan and Klingon delegations. They want information on everything that they're learning about the Gamma Quadrant and the Dominion. There's some funny stuff that happens when Odo puts uh, a Klingon in jail, uh, he baits them a lot of times. Uh, it's just kind of fun. We get to see Deep Space Nine blow up in one of those future visions. Um, it's it's uh, an okay episode, but uh, I don't know. For some reason, I kind of really dug it. What's really weird is that the present O'Brien goes to the future, tries to learn information, and he's going to send it back in time, right? But then he he dies, and the future O'Brien from a couple hours in the future comes back to take his place, and suddenly we're kind of like all okay with that? <laughs> that was kind of weird. Reading some of the background stuff, you realize that uh, this was a, a story that uh, was possibly going to be a Star Trek Next Generation episode, where they considered killing off William T. Riker and replacing him with a duplicate. And I think that story is where we get Thomas Riker from, but I, I don't remember. So the whole thing is just wacky science and time travel, and the whole exchange of the two O'Briens kind of flipped my mind a little bit, so I had to put that on the list. Next up, episode 19, Through the Looking Glass. Why are you working for the Alliance? Is it because you believe in what they're doing, or is it something else? I don't know what you're talking about. I think the two of us have been fighting each other so long 
But you've gotten used to us being on opposite sides. But I'm not the enemy this time, Jennifer. The Alliance is. The Alliance is your enemy, not mine. That's where you're wrong. Don't you see? You're no different than the slaves working in the ore processing center. In fact, you may even be worse off. At least they know they're prisoners. What if I am a prisoner? You don't have to be. Fight back. Come with me. You want me to join the rebellion? The way I see it, freedom is a whole lot better than slavery. Consider me surprised that there was another another Mirror Mirror Universe episode. I did not think they were going to continue that. And now I've come to learn that there's going to be a few other ones as well. So in this episode, uh, the Mirror Mirror Universe O'Brien comes to our universe and grabs Benjamin Sisko and tell, tells him to come to the Mirror Mirror Universe because their Sisko has died and in order to save uh, Jennifer, who was alive in the Mirror Mirror Universe, uh, Cisco has to take on the role of, of the Mirror Mirror Universe Cisco. So he gets to see his dead wife again, which is kind of strange. Um, we get to see some other characters that we hadn't seen in the last Mirror Mirror Universe. We get to see Rom, Bashir, the Mirror Mirror Universe of Dax. And uh, also we get to see Tuvok of all things, right? They're trying to remind us that the Voyager series had started by this time. So we get to see Tuvok in the Mirror Mirror universe, which is kind of fun. So it's not an episode that I thought um, was as strong as the first time they ventured into the Mirror Mirror universe. I don't think the actress who plays Jennifer is really all that strong acting-wise, but it's really on the list because I was just surprised that we got another Mirror Mirror universe episode. Um... It's really weird that in this universe, Cisco and the alternate Dax did it. And I guess Cisco and the alternate Kira also did it. That's kind of strange that he goes back to his universe with that information. Yeah, that's a little weird. But all in all, you know, pretty good episode. All right, Deep Space Nine, 20 and 21, a two-parter. First up, part one, Improbable Cause. Or shall we pick up where we left off? Garrick, this is the man who put you into exile. This is the man who just two days ago tried to have you killed. Yes, he is. But it doesn't matter. I am back. Two episodes where Garrick is the feature, and I always like Garrick as a character. His uh, shop is bombed, so Odo launches an investigation. And he learns that uh, various members of the Obsidian Order are being killed and that there's going to be uh, possibly a Romulan attack on Cardassia. But it turns out, nope, it's not any of that. It's Elam who returns. Elam, who was um, Garrick's commanding officer in the Obsidian Order. Uh, he's got both the Obsidian Order and the Romulan Tal Shiar to go with him as a power play to go up against the Dominion in the Gamma Quadrant, which is kind of cool. This is where we get the callback to the Defiant episode. We learn that um, what was going on in the Oriah system is that there's a fleet that's being built under the Obsidian Order. Apparently, they're not supposed to weaponize at all. 
Uh, they're just supposed to be a covert organization. They're not supposed to have ships and things like that. So not only that, we get a couple other things. We learn that Odo has an informant that is a Cardassian. I'm assuming that it's Goldicott, but I don't think we learn who that is in this episode. We get the uh, um, appearance of a character named Mila, who has some relationship to Garrick. Um, we learn that she was sort of like a housekeeper, I believe. But And I know a lot of this family stuff comes out later, and I know what it is. But for now, it's kind of nice to see it all build in a secret way, which then leads us to the second part, Die is Cast. Odo, talk to me! Tell me something! Anything! Lie if you have to, but say it now, please! Home! I want to go home! And you will, I promise. As soon as this is all over, I promise I'll take you back to Deep Space Nine. No, not a station. Home, but my gateway. The founders, she wanted to return to the founders. I thought you turned your back on them. I did, but still my people I tried to deny it. I tried to forget, but I can't. They're my people, and I want to be with them in the Great Link. I knew there was something secret you were holding back. And now you found it. Of course, everything goes wrong. The fleet of Romulan and Cardassian ships uh, think they they go after the Founders' home world, but it turns out it was all just um, – it was a trap. It all was a trap. Probably the most interesting thing between these two episodes, especially in part one, is that Garrick is so eager to go back to his former life, right? Uh, it's certainly been hinted at. He's such a strange, enigmatic character, and we see that really all he wants to do is go back to the way he was – in this episode, they take Odo along with them uh, to the Founder's homeworld, and Garrick tortures him to try to get information, and we learn that Odo, Odo also wants to go to his people. That's one of his secret desires. He really does want to go back to the Founders, but obviously feels like he can't because they're you know up to no good. We get all kinds of suspicion uh, thrown onto Eddington. He sabotages the Defiant as they go after uh, this fleet because they want to rescue Odo, but that's against Starfleet's orders. So he uh, sabotages the Defiant, but he says, look, you know, I, I'm with you, but I just felt like I had to do that. So, you know, clearly they're setting him up for some stuff. And I just love the ending where, again, it's a trap. Um, we learn that there was a, a changeling who was masquerading as a Romulan. He once again offers Odo uh, an invite to join the Great Link, but again, Odo says no. In all of this destruction, the way that the Romulans and the Cardassians get destroyed, it makes me think, hmm, are they going to take some prisoners? Do any of these people come out alive again? I think Tane is still alive, but I don't remember. And then that leaves us with just the Klingons and the Federation back in the Alpha Quadrant. I think one of the founders even really says that, but he says, you know, he doesn't really think that they're going to be any they're going to uh, be all that effective against the Dominion. So this episode just showed us a connection between a lot of things. You know, it furthers this Dominion story. It gives us a neat connection between Garrick and Odo, who are both both outcasts. Um, and apparently this is like the starting point, the tipping point 
into what's going to happen into season four. So yeah, really great episode. And then finally, episode 26, The Adversary. Captain, there's something you need to know. The changeling, before he died, he whispered something to me. Go on. He said, you're too late. We are everywhere. The Deep Space Nine crew are, are sent off to uh, a coup that is happening somewhere. Uh, and on the way, they realize that their ship has been invaded by yet again another changeling. It's kind of like the movie The Thing, but on a starship. Cisco uh, gets promoted to captain in this episode, which is kind of cool. And the whole thing is kind of like a horror episode as they're trying to figure out where this changeling is on the ship and if it's anybody. At one point, it's Bashir. At one point, they think it's Eddington. They do this blood test and Eddington's test goes wrong. But then you find out, oh, no, he might be human and that the um, random changeling was just making it look like he was a founder. And then so we get a confrontation between Odo and this changeling and uh, Odo manages to harm the changeling, kill the changeling, I, I think through like an accident. But, uh, uh, you know, that whole tenet of no changeling has ever harmed another, whoops, that just uh, kind of got thrown out the window. So we'll see what that does later on. And we learn um, that uh, it's not a question of if the Dominion will invade the Alpha Quadrant. It's already happened and that uh, they're too late. All of these changelings are everywhere, which is so cool, right? Um, it, it Again, to make the connection with Ronald E. Moore and Battlestar Galactica, the, the later revamp, this whole idea of who could be a Cylon in that series, well, now we got this whole who could be a changeling in this series. And I know that plays out in many, many ways. So I'm looking forward to seeing... Um, when all of those reveals happen. So I think the season ended pretty strongly. It's by no means, uh, you know, best of both worlds, but it's pretty good. And uh, I'm looking forward to season four. As always, I have a couple uh, honorable, honorable mentions. We have episode three, House of Quark, which is kind of a fun episode. Episode six, The Abandoned, with, a, with an, an infant Jem'Hadar talking to Odo. There's some kind of cool psych psychology things going on there. Uh, episode 24, Shakar, where we get more Kai Win stuff. We get more Kira stuff. Uh, a civil war almost breaks out, and uh, Kira teams up with one of her old resistance leaders, um, showing how, how something very small can lead to something big, right? It's this whole dispute over farming equipment, and yet it almost brings about a civil war, which is kind of cool. Uh, episode 25, Facets, it's a Dax episode, so of course it's about trills, um, but as she celebrates all of her past lives, and she does this, uh, you know, ceremony where she puts her past lives in various other members of Deep Space Nine, uh, Curzon Dax gets put into Odo, and we get this strange merging effect, and it's, what I think is interesting is, um, as Dax, um, 
brings Curzon back into her, she learns a little bit of what it's like to be a changeling. So I'm curious to see if that will ever play out again. And then the backstory, the second story, is that Nog finally passes all of his Starfleet exams and he gets accepted into Starfleet. And uh, again, we get some Rom and Quark uh, stuff, family stuff over Nog. And just the way that Rom kind of stands up to his brother is kind of cool. And I, I just really, I'm becoming fond of that character as well. So another honorable mention. All right, and then that's it. That's it for that season. As I said, I'll do another episode on Voyager Season 1, and then I will get back to watching Deep Space Nine Season 4 and Voyager Season 2. You can reach me, Peter, at thedailyrios.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Follow me on Instagram, at thedailyrios. This has been The Daily Rios, Episode 464. Talk to you soon. Bye.